In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. I want to start this morning by telling you a little bit of a priest's secret, and that is that whenever someone tells me that they think the Bible is boring, that's a pretty good indication to me that they haven't read it. The Bible is filled with stories of scandal and intrigue, with soap opera-like moments, some of them violent, some with con men who become heroes, miracles that seem altogether impossible, unlikely victories, and odd messages from God. The Bible is literally full of fascinating, painful, rich, engaging stories, especially if we are able to remember that these stories are about people who are just like us. And this morning's texts, this morning's stories are no different, and there are some really challenging things in what we've just heard. In Genesis, we hear the continuation of an ancient story of identity, of jealousy, of possibility, and of human failing. Last week, we heard that Sarah laughed at the news that she was going to have a child. She couldn't believe it. She had clearly given up on this dream, which is why she suggested 15 years earlier that Abraham have a child with their slave, Hagar. Now, just right there, there are quite a few problematic layers that I trust that I don't need to dig into too deeply this morning, that you can put yourself in the shoes of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and imagine what some of those problems are. Because to Abraham and Hagar is born a son. And just after the birth, there is trouble between Hagar and Sarah, which I think is not much of a surprise. And Sarah begins to treat Hagar badly, so badly, in fact, that Hagar packs up the child and runs away into the desert. And an angel of the Lord appears to Hagar in the wilderness and tells her to go back to Abraham and Sarah and to call the child Ishmael, which means God hears, because God has heard her and has had compassion on her. And God promises that day to make of this boy also a great nation, to multiply her offspring, which is the same promise that God has made to Abraham, which should speak to us of God's sense of fairness, God's desire for her to be happy and safe and fulfilled and part of the story, even though the people in this particular story have made a bit of a mess. And in the desert, in the desert, Hagar names God. In the midst of this episode where they're having a conversation, Hagar says that God is the one who sees because God has seen her in her suffering and has intervened. So this morning, we hear sort of the second half of that story. We hear Sarah casting Hagar out into the desert, again, out of jealousy and fear for her own son. And again today, God intervenes to keep the promise that God made to Hagar to give Ishmael the same blessing as Abraham and ultimately Isaac and all of their descendants. And God keeps this promise eventually. Ishmael is the ancestor and the father of the Muslim people. So he does become a nation. In both desert moments of desperation, God hears the suffering of this boy. God sees that they are in trouble and God acts to secure both of their futures. The God who sees, the God who hears, the God who intervenes. In the gospel this morning, like in every gospel passage, we meet the God who sees, who hears, and who intervenes on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ. This morning, he has a, a difficult task for the disciples, and he tells them not to be afraid. He says that even sparrows, which are sold two for a penny, do not fall to the ground outside the will of God. 
And aren't you worth so much more than two sparrows? So wouldn't it follow then that God sees and cares and intervenes for you? This passage gives rise to that amazing gospel song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. And if you have never listened to Ethel Waters sing that song, that is your homework for after church today. Because Ethel Waters made this song famous. And you can't not believe her when she says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And that is the good news of our gospel this morning, that God sees you and hears you and has good plans stored up for you, that God has already intervened for you in the person of Jesus Christ. So even when you find yourself in the wilderness, even when you cannot imagine that there is a blessing anywhere in sight, even when you don't see God at work right away, and even in the midst of unimaginable tragedy and pain like Hagar is in, in both of those desert episodes, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, who breathed life into you, who sees all that you do, who measures the contents of your heart, who even counts the hairs on your head, this God looks at you, imperfect though we all are. This God looks at you with love. And because of that, grace already abounds. And that is what the Apostle Paul wants us to know in that text this morning, that because we share in the death of Christ in our baptism, we will also share in his resurrection. Because death has no dominion over him, it has no dominion over us. If Jesus is our portion, then we are already free. And Jesus and Paul and the disciples and Ethel Waters want you to know that happiness deep in your bones and in the depth of your being, that you need not be afraid because Jesus has already prepared the next life for you. And because there is always an and with Jesus, and there is a ton of challenge in this gospel text too, challenge for this life, challenge for this moment. Last week, you might remember that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two to do the work of God in the world, to spread the kingdom, to teach and preach and baptize and heal. And they were sent out to change the world, mostly by teaching people how to love. And Jesus knows that love, his way of love, is the only way that the world will turn. Love is the only way to build the kingdom. So he sends the disciples out into the world to change it, literally with nothing to help them but love. This week, Jesus tells us about the high cost of discipleship and the cost of love. Jesus knows in himself intimately that love is messy. It is dangerous and magic and powerful. A few weeks ago, we talked about love as the force behind everything, behind all of creation, the force that knit the whole world together. That is real power. Power to change, power to heal, power to give. And though powerful, Love is never unopposed, not here. And we see this in Jesus' own life among us. He heals people and he works miracles. He names injustice, he creates community, and he calls people back into right relationship with God and with each other. And he is maligned and mocked for it. And ultimately, he is beaten and killed for it. And the disciple is not above the teacher. So the disciple will also experience the cost of love that is messy. The disciple will also experience what Jesus experiences. The disciple will also be mocked and made fun of. The disciple will also be disrespected and ignored. The disciple will also know the sting of betrayal from people close to them. 
We think of love sometimes as this soft, gentle thing, but it can't be if it survives all of that. Love is risky. It makes us vulnerable. Love risks telling the truth. Love insists on justice and fairness. Love risks being unpopular. Love consistently puts the needs of the whole body ahead of the individual. The love we discover in Jesus is selfless and self-sacrificing and honest. It doesn't manipulate, it doesn't play games. Love's yes is yes, love's no is no. It stands strong in its conviction, so strong that not even death can conquer it. And we see this in Jesus's own example all the time. Wherever he goes, he speaks the truth no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter who will throw stones at him, no matter who wants to kill him. And for some who are willing to hear his truth, it leads to health and healing and wholeness, not just for them, but for their whole community. It can lead a whole community into peace. It leads to new relationships and better relationships, and it leads to justice and love. For others who are not willing to hear him, it creates anger, it threatens the status quo, and it frightens those who will not look honestly into themselves to count the cost of discipleship. Because the, the messy thing about love is that it also requires us to change. When we have seen the truth, we can't unsee it. And the truth from the beginning, even from the passage we heard in Genesis today, which is one of our most ancient texts, is that God always had equal blessings in mind for all of God's people. God always believed in shared prosperity. God always saw each life as precious. And God always wanted us to live in peace and to accept those blessings, not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. To be one people, one creation made new. The whole Gospel of Matthew paints a picture of Jesus who is in the process of remaking creation with nothing more than love. Matthew wants us to know this Messiah who is making all things new and that alone the idea of newness creates challenge, let alone when we get into the weeds working for justice and fairness and peace. Let alone when a change in our life comes with a cost. And yet this is exactly the work to which Jesus calls us in our baptism. It is the moment we find ourselves in, a, in as a society right now, and it is the moment, truthfully, that we are always in if we are listening. Because if we follow this radical, new, loving Messiah, then we are always called to walk into the world with that love that is messy as our only armor. And knowing that we as Christians are called to take up our cross and to follow after Jesus, which involves giving pieces of ourselves away and ultimately finding our life by having lost it to the good news of Jesus. To do that, we have to follow Jesus on this path where love heals and names and changes and equalizes and transforms and resists and moves and risks. Because God hears and sees the suffering of God's people. And you are how God intervenes today. Your hands, your feet, your love, your insistence on messy, truthful, persistent, fair love is the only thing that will bring around freedom and blessing for all people. That is the only way that we can spread this kingdom with the help of the God who sees and hears and intervenes in you to build the dream that God always had in mind, a dream of blessing for every human being. Amen.